Hi, my name is Sam Rochi and I'm a senior at Belmont High School. And for my capstone project, I studied bipolar disorder. What is bipolar disorder? What is the difference in daily life for a person living with bipolar disorder? What is society's general perception of people with bipolar and how does this affect those with the condition? How can this perception be changed? I hope to answer these questions today in a podcast influenced by my own research and an interview with trained psychiatrist, Dr. David Brundle, as clips from our conversation will be dispersed throughout this episode. Dr. Brundle is a psychiatrist in the Boston area and... Well, I've been a psychiatrist in practice for over 20 years. Uh, I've worked in hospital settings, locked in patient units, residential treatment programs, uh, hospital clinics, and also my private practice. Mm-hmm. And throughout those years, I've treated people um, with a whole variety of psychiatric conditions. Uh, and one of the areas I specialize in is mood disorders, and mm-hmm. that usually includes major depression or bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. So I, I've worked with many people with bipolar over those years, uh, diagnosing, providing uh, education to patients and their families about bipolar and uh, treating bipolar with medications and talk therapies. As I began this year, I was certainly not as familiar with bipolar disorder as I am now, and first delved into the conditions of this disorder, familiarizing myself with symptoms and distinguishing the facts that make bipolar disorder so unique from other mental disorders. Bipolar disorder, as defined by Mayo Clinic, is a mental health condition that causes extreme mood swings that entail emotional lows known as depressive episodes and emotional highs known as mania or manic episodes. Bipolar disorder is also known as bipolar depression, which I do believe can cause confusion as there's another mental health condition called unipolar depression, which we simply resort to calling depression. I often feel that people might confuse bipolar depression with depression, but the distinct differences between bipolar depression and unipolar depression are those manic episodes. In a podcast with Dr. Hansen, he explains it quite simply. I really liked his analogy as he explained that, quote, in unipolar depression, you go up, but you never really get past zero. You move from zero to negative 10. The idea of bipolar disorder is that you can go up from seven on elation, but you always come crashing down well below the waterline. To me, this analogy was so simple and clear. It paints this picture of big, high mountains and then low crashing valleys. It also really reminds me of the roller coaster of bipolar disorder. It's kind of this infamous and iconic idea an analogy that goes hand in hand with bipolar disorder that there's this roller coaster of emotions. Those highs, those mountains, and the peak of the roller coaster was always a really confusing spot for me, and those are the manic episodes. Speaking for myself, and I'm sure countless people, I can count loads of times when I felt extremely happy or confident or elated for a period of time, whether that be a few days, weeks, or months. And I've also definitely felt times where I felt really low and defeated and frustrated for similar amounts of time. And as, you know, an outsider looking in, you might think, wow, these symptoms correspond really well with bipolar disorder. So does that mean I have bipolar disorder? And I think that the general huge misconception is the definition and the signs of a true manic episode. 
As I learned more about these episodes, I really began to answer my own question. I did not have bipolar disorder, and nor did a lot of my family or friends. These episodes are nothing close to the feelings I've ever experienced in my own life. They're much more intense, confusing, and at the end of the day, certainly not something that you can experience in your day-to-day unless you really truly have bipolar disorder. As I talked with Dr. Brundle, he agreed that mania and manic is a very overused term in our society and that this really does have an impact on diagnosing patients and the education of bipolar disorder. Yeah, you mentioned that um, you spent a lot of time educating your patients about bipolar disorder. And I feel like throughout the years or the year that I've spent um, studying bipolar disorder, I've noticed that a lot of people um, who end up with this diagnosis don't really know a lot about it. So could you speak to that? Like why you think maybe people aren't as familiar with some of the conditions? Yeah, there is still, even after all these years of uh, attempts at uh, broad education about bipolar, there is still a lot of misunderstanding. Uh, in previous years, bipolar disorder was called manic depression. Mm-hmm. And, and that word manic has just kind of gotten into like ordinary language. Oh my God, he was so manic mm-hmm. when I spoke with him, you know, or you're being so manic. Uh, and, and so people run together sort of an ordinary use of language at times, like you're talking too fast or you seem really excited or you're all over the place and scattered mm-hmm. or you're driving me crazy and you call somebody manic. But, but, but that's not what manic depression or bipolar disorder is by mm-hmm. definition, although those might be some of the symptoms. So some of it is is language, or even the term bipolar has, you know, uh, in recent years, people will say, oh, I feel so bipolar, or, you know, my 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 boyfriend, my girlfriend being so bipolar, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so again, that's, it's, it's a use of the word with a misunderstanding of the word. And the, the fact is that bipolar disorder is actually a very well-defined medical psychiatric condition with clear criteria, a list of symptoms that will distinguish whether somebody actually does have bipolar disorder or not. Mm-hmm. So I think you ask a good question, and I, I think that you know, there, there is a misunderstanding about what the condition is, mm-hmm. and some of it is you know, made worse by Uh, some of the language people use. As we discussed here, society blurs the line between reality that entails a manic episode as part of the diagnosis of a bipolar disorder and the fantasy. This fantasy and this dream almost of having a mental health disorder or condition as almost a talking point and just kind of as a joke, not even a joke, but just a casual play in a conversation. As Dr. Brundle said, it's so overused and exaggerated in our day-to-day conversations that it makes it extremely hard to really be able to become in touch with your own body and your own mind and determine if you truly have these manic episode conditions and symptoms or if you have a figment of an imagination, something that is played into through society's generalization and exaggeration of this term. Manic episodes 
are truly times when a person feels extreme elation, self-confidence, happiness, and hopefulness. It's almost as though there's this feeling of invincibility that nothing can go wrong. Manic episodes really aren't, though, just feeling happy. And that's what sets bipolar disorder apart from just feeling happy and then feeling sad. In these emotional highs, there's a tendency to make extremely impulsive decisions with no regard to the consequences that will come after the fact, especially decisions regarding sex, drugs, money, and alcohol. I believe that this really just goes hand in hand with that feeling of invincibility. Nothing bad will happen after and nothing bad will happen during. In fact, this is so common that the number and rate of suicide attempts in bipolar disorder people is pretty alarmingly high. And a lot of the times, as Mariah Hornbacker says in her memoir, she explains that, quote, an alarming number of bipolar suicides are unintentional. Mania triggers wildly impulsive behaviors, powerful urges to push oneself to the utmost, to go to often dangerous extremes like driving 100 miles an hour, binging on drugs and alcohol, jumping out of windows, cutting, and others. Those extreme behaviors lead often to accidental death, end quote. And unfortunately, this makes a lot of sense. These manic episodes, you're completely out of control within your own body. And you feel invincible, but at the end of the day, you're human and you are not invincible. So you have this lost sense of control over your body paired with this feeling of an invincibility. And it's just a recipe for danger. And at the end of the day, these manic episodes are chaotic, confusing, and truly dangerous. But a lot of people with bipolar disorder seem to not understand their conditions, often avoid diagnosis, and avoid treatment. And as I continued my research, I began to wonder why this was and slowly uncover the facts and the truth behind some of this avoidance. I do believe that in the past few centuries, there has been a shift in the conversation about mental health. There's definitely a lot more acceptance and push for us to accept the fact that we don't just have problems with our physical body, but yet our mental body as well. When I talk to my parents, they always relay the fact that mental health and having any type of factor or condition that made you different was not as discussed recognized or addressed. If you were different, it was pushed aside or you were just labeled as crazy. At Belmont High School, there's definitely more of a push to talk about mental health. It's not as secretive or pushed aside. There's a lot of encouraging to seek out guidance counselors, to reduce your stress, to talk to a trusted teacher. And I do feel that within the students as well, there's definitely a warm community, um, especially since I feel as though a lot of students grapple with their own personal issues, that there's more of this like herd community that wants to share their own experiences and accept each other. But with that being said, there are still whispers and rumors um, about that go around about people that certainly have this negative light that are targeted about their mental health or disorders that they can't necessarily control. 
But beyond the walls of Belmont High School, society and the world has a free reign on our lives, and people can be extremely ruthless. And these days, everybody has a phone, um, almost everyone for that, and it's a lot easier to have your own opinion when you're behind a screen and you have this anonymous profile. And at the end of the day, there's still this general idea that being different isn't necessarily a good thing. So I think that at times being bipolar is seen as weak, um, a diagnosis for quote crazy people. Um, and it's a choice, you know, there's this idea that this is a choice to people and that people choose to live this way and choose to have this condition. Um, and at the end of the day, I think that a lot of these ideas and stigmas come from the fact that people don't actually learn the symptoms, the conditions, and the truth. Our mental health and our disorders and things that go on, they're not entirely our own choice. We cannot physically control our diagnosis or the brain developments and chemicals that are in our own bodies. We can control how we treat our bodies, how we treat our mental health, and how we treat our brain, but we cannot expect to rewire our own brains ourselves. It's just not possible. Um, and I, I noticed this common pattern throughout some of my sources uh, that I studied this year that there was this disdain to the diagnosis of bipolar disorder. Mariah Hornbacker wrote about her own diagnosis and her distaste, and she was really reluctant in the initial diagnosis and in the initial stages um, and opposed it, saying, quote, bipolar, kind of an overstatement, but whatever. Just another name from another shrink. Interesting, but not really relevant to my day to day. After all, it's not like I'm sick. End quote. To me, it was really evident that her experience and perception of bipolar disorder was really limited and negative. Um, she was a young author, and her profession made her so that she was in the the light in the eyes of other peoples. And despite her knowing that her conditions um, were really extreme and that this disorder was affecting her day to day, um, she kind of ignored it and didn't want to accept the fact that she had these like extreme episodes where she would tell her vivid stories of partying for weeks on end, staying up without sleep for days, blowing her bank account, involving herself in extremely, extremely quick and intense romantic relationships, binging on alcohol and drugs, and then all of a sudden come crashing down. Um, and she was extremely aware and vulnerable in telling this story, but I think that to her, she just was worried that this would affect her professional career. And she further said, quote, and surely no one needs to know. Why focus more on what a fuck-up I am? They'll take it wrong and make a fuss. End quote. Hornbacker admits right after this passage that this diagnosis should have been an instant turning point in her life. She, because at the time this memoir was written from the perspective of her life, um, and this point in her life was a significant time ago, so probably about 20 years ago, and um, there was definitely a different talk and idea about bipolar disorder and mental health in general, um, and I think that since she continued to ignore this, it just let the diagnosis kind of go to waste, and her disorder continued to control her. She was so consumed by what everyone would thought of, would think of her, and I, that's our human nature. Uh, we all want to fit in. We all want to be appreciated. We all want to be supported and treated just like everybody else. And it's unreasonable to tell people to just simply accept, um, you know, that they're different because there's still this want to feel 
supported and accepted. But I also think at the end of the day, we should all realize that there, we all are insecure or have something that makes us unique in our own individual. Um, and at the end of the day, we all need to learn how to accept that and come together as one rather than isolate and label people for um, just like a fragment of who they are as a person. Dr. Brendel, um, on his opinion of the stigma and the effect and the weight that it holds on his patients and um, how this affects their interest in responding to a diagnosis and their interest in treatment. I really studied this year, like the stigma and the effect of kind of like what we we're talking about, how people just kind of throw around words without really expressing a meaning, but also how people perceive others who have mental health conditions. And I was wondering if you think that, you know, in your time, you've seen patients struggle with coming to terms with like fitting in, quote unquote. I feel like there's a lot of like stigma and people, you know, I was reading one memoir and the woman was talking about how she didn't want to feel like, you know, isolated or that people would think of her as crazy if she kind of like accepted her diagnosis and began treatment. So she kind of just avoided it. And I was wondering if you feel like you've seen that in your practice. Yes, and uh, well, some people have a misunderstanding of their own condition. Mm -hmm. The kind of case you just mentioned, it, it's often uh, the person's avoiding yeah. uh, the diagnosis and avoiding treatment that makes things worse. It's not getting the diagnosis and getting the treatment mm -hmm. uh, that makes things worse. Uh, if the treatment goes well, and it usually does, uh, that makes people's lives better. But there is, the stigma is there, there's a lot of fear. Uh, about about what it means to get a diagnosis. So I've seen in my practice over the years that it really cuts both ways for, for different people. There are mm -hmm. some people that reject the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. uh, they may reject the entire psychiatric system. Yeah. Um, they hate the idea of medications. And so some people or even family members just reject the whole thing mm -hmm. completely out of hand. Uh, and it never gets dealt with, or at least there's a delay to mm -hmm. uh, to acceptance and dealing with it. Then there are other people at the other end of the spectrum that are so relieved to get the diagnosis, yeah. to, to hear that, oh, wait a second, this is something that other people have, this is a pattern, there's mm -hmm. been research on this, the treatment actually works. Mm -hmm. Okay, no, thank God, now I actually understand why my life has been falling apart yeah. all this time and that there's something to do with it. My sense is that the majority of people are more in the latter category that they actually do want to um, get some uh, clarification, understanding, treatment. Mm -hmm. But it sometimes it takes a while to get there. I mean, especially if somebody is uh, either on the, the severe depressed side mm -hmm. and suicidal, they don't want to hear anything. Yeah, in fact, they just want to be uh, left alone or die. Or if people are severely manic, uh, they're so angry and irritable and racy that they can't slow down enough to think about it. But most people um, with bipolar, when they're in some state of you know relative stability and clarity, do appreciate do appreciate having uh, the diagnosis and some clarity about what to do. Mm -hmm. After we spoke 
I really reflected more on what he said regarding accepting a diagnosis. Um, I had spent a lot of time believing more um, that there was a disappointment to receiving a diagnosis and that there is more of an avoidance to treatment, but this relief aspect had never been the primary focus of my research and um, what I had discovered until now. And the more I think about it and I think about what I would feel in that position, the more it makes sense to have you know, this, this relief be the common reaction. I believe that bipolar disorder is extremely tiring if you don't know what you're dealing with and you don't have that correct support system and treatment system. Uh, there's this, there has to be this feeling of frustration and anger, you thinking you're too different, that there's something wrong with you. Um, but having a name and having a diagnosis, knowing I have bipolar disorder, you know, there's this relief, you know that there's treatment there's people you can talk to, there's psychiatrists, and there's counsel, and there's other people out there who experience the same thing. And at the end of the day, it's another part of our human instinct and drive to feel this connection to other people. And that connection is just so healing. The life-changing skill I really believe that we all have to develop um, is just empathy and learning how to support one another. And that's how we live our lives is connecting with other people. We're humans. And that's part of our brain instinct to feel that emotion. It's like how do family members offer support in like a loving way that makes everybody like, like kind of like helps them with treatment. Yeah, it's it's very, it's very tricky for family members, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, oftentimes I'll uh, counsel family members if my patient gives me permission mm -hmm. to speak with family members. I'll sometimes have family members join the meetings or have separate meetings with family members to give guidance. There are some families that approach me. They say, you know, we're not asking for you to treat the individual in our family with bipolar. Mm -hmm. uh, that person doesn't want treatment now or they're in the hospital or somebody else is trying to treat them, but we do want some family uh, support and guidance about how to, uh, how to approach it. Mm -hmm. We care about this person. We love this person. We want to do the right thing. We don't want to be too intrusive and get in their face and have and be totally rejected. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, we're so concerned. We can't just completely disconnect and say, call your doctor, call your therapist. We don't want to have anything to do with you yeah. until you're feeling well, you know? So, it's a gray area there, which is understandably really hard mm -hmm. for families. Uh, I mean, some of the core suggestions that I make to family members, uh, you know, or a few things like this. One is when you're talking to the person with bipolar, it's really important to stay calm. And that's very hard to do when, mm -hmm. when somebody is continuously saying they're, um, they won't get out of bed or they're suicidal or making suicide gestures or attempts. Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of hard to stay calm. Yeah. And at the other end of the spectrum, the person's racing around a mile a minute or spending too much money or doing impulsive, self-destructive things. It's mm -hmm. kind of hard for family members to stay calm and have a calm yeah. conversation. Right. So it's understandably hard, but that, that has to be at least the goal to work toward mm -hmm. is to not get pulled in to the bipolar um, system and dynamics that the, the individual patient with bipolar has, mm -hmm. but to try to remain connected, 
but a voice of reason. Mm-hmm. You know, and clear state, brief, clear statements, clarity, and also setting some boundaries. Mm-hmm. So it may be things like, "We're really worried about you. This is completely, you say, completely hurtful and inappropriate things, or we're not going to." allow you to get access to the money that you that, that you're about to go spend mm-hmm. uh, or you know we can't be verbally abused this way you know we're going to set a limit we're not going to allow you to destroy our lives but we are really here we'll do anything to help you mm-hmm. we'll take you to the doctor we'll help you monitor the medication um, you know we'll uh, come into your home and if help you fold the laundry mm-hmm. or, or, you know, whatever it is. So, so being supportive and helpful, uh, not disconnecting, staying calm, but also setting very, very clear limits about mm-hmm. what is acceptable and what's not. It sometimes escalates to a completely uncontrollable point. And sometimes families do have to call 911 or, you know, arrange for, uh, an admission to a hospital Yeah. Uh, against the person's will. Those are, those, those situations happen quite a bit there, but in most cases, uh, people are not going to the hospital and it can be dealt with, um, uh, kind of in the usual way, mm-hmm. uh, in the course of people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I like how you said, you know, just providing support and like being there for people, even if it's small things like doing the laundry and small tasks, it just shows yeah. that, you know, you care, which I think is really important. So. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I know you're suffering. It doesn't look like there's any food in the refrigerator. I'm going to pick up some groceries mm-hmm. and have them here for you. You know, you're all over the place, but you should still eat well. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think it's a nice way to show that you're there, but not being like super intrusive and wanting to know the answers to everything and kind of like drilling with questions. It's a really nice way just to kind of support. Yes. Yeah, drilling with questions is is terrible. You can't do an interrogation, mm-hmm. but sort of uh, like I said, calm, calm, open-ended questions can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you know, how stressful is this for you? How badly are you feeling? Mm-hmm. What do you need? You know, we really want to be helpful. What do you need us to do? Uh, and really asking those questions in a genuine way is good. So that's totally different than an interrogation or like you said drilling with questions Mm -hmm. but calm questions this seems really tough right now what do you need who can help you yeah what what can i do in the moment that doesn't get in the person's face but it again um, demonstrates engagement caring love for the person Mm -hmm. yeah that makes a lot of sense i think that's really important um I hope at the end of this podcast, we can all take away the true conditions and symptoms of bipolar disorder. I also hope that we can take away how important it is to understand the power we have and hold on each other's lives. We really can never measure or understand or comprehend what anybody else is dealing with or experiencing in their day-to-day life. And with that, no one really ever knows what we're feeling as individuals inside either. Showing your support for each other Your love and your physical presence means the world to anybody. And in a case of a person with bipolar disorder, when they're feeling so out of control, this consistency 
and enforcing that stability makes a huge difference. Um, this, this just shows, you know, you're there for the person and it encourages treatment without forcing them into something they might not be comfortable with. I want to thank you again for tuning in to this episode of Speaking with Sam. Thank you again.